Please join with me in prayer. Father, what a privilege to proclaim this good news of Jesus Christ, this same news that the Apostle Paul proclaimed. And through it, You changed the world. You changed the whole course of world history. And through it, You brought glory and honor to Yourself by bringing men and women, boys and girls, to Yourself as a as an acceptable offering and a sweet-smelling fragrance in Your sight. Lord, I pray that You would continue to use Your glorious Gospel this morning and help me as I proclaim it. I ask in Jesus' name, Amen. I've got a little test for you this morning. Uh, Many of you are confident uh, in your knowledge of the book of Romans. Many of you, without doubt, would name the book of Romans as your favorite book of the Bible. So, there's a little test that I want to give you this morning. It flows out of verse 15 in our text. And so, as Jim just read, verse 15, "...but on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God." Paul said that he had written very boldly to the Romans at certain points in his letter. So the question is, the little test is, can you readily identify which passages he is talking about? And I'm not looking for you to call out an answer. Um, Please don't. Uh, Because it would be, um, if you're wrong, it would be embarrassing for me to point out in front of the whole congregation that you're wrong. So, uh, no answers. Um, but this is a little exercise to get you engaged in the sermon. I know I'm a guy. I know uh, guys, and they tend to be a little more sluggish uh, when it comes to listening to the sermon. But they are also very competitive. So a little test might help the guys be a little more attentive this morning. So, do you think you know the answer? Where is it in the book of Romans? that He spoke very boldly to them. Now, you can lean over and you can tell your spouse so that you can get some credit for being right. Unless, of course, you're wrong. (laughs) Um, But it's a little bit of a trick question because the answer is actually found in the preceding chapter. Paul's admonitions to the Jewish and Gentile Christians in chapter 14 is where he spoke rather boldly to them. For instance, he said in Romans 14, verse 4, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Or in Romans 14, 10, he said, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And then in verse 15, Paul said, For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So these are these statements that he spoke, that he's referring to as being um, rather bold in his admonitions. And this little test was not only 
to, to pique your interest. There's a practical point I want to make before we move into the main points of the sermon. If you notice, every strong admonition that Paul gave to the Romans had to do with how they were to love and to treat each other. And I think we should learn from this that loving each other is much more difficult than we often assume. And we are much worse at loving each other than we often realize. Within the relationships of the church, within the relationships with those outside the church, and even in our closest family relationships, we sin against others by loving them more poorly than we might think. Don't underestimate how difficult it is to love other people well. That is how we show forth to the world that the Lord Jesus Christ is glorious. By our love one for another. By our love for each other in the church. By our love for people out in the community. Even by our love for our enemies. So as we begin this sermon, just a little side note, I want to encourage you, continually look to the Lord Jesus who loves us perfectly and ask um, Him to help us love each other more genuinely. Paul knew that he was writing to people who struggled to love well. And in writing to them boldly, he was aware that they were likely not to love him for doing so, but instead reject this letter that he had sent to them. Remember that Paul's a stranger to them. They had heard of him, they knew who he was, but they had never met him. For instance, how would you feel if one of the other pastors from our presbytery wrote us a letter here at Westminster Uh, just out of the blue, admonishing us to love each other more genuinely within our own congregation. How would you feel if a a pastor did that who had never been here to our congregation? You know, we Presbyterians, we are fiercely independent and a bit ornery. Uh, Somehow or another, the... uh, You know, the Scottish DNA gets pressed into our own DNA uh, when we join the church. You know, and so I could hear her saying, who does that pastor think he is? Uh, He doesn't know us. But that's essentially what Paul's doing. He's writing them this letter, and he's admonishing them for the way they're treating each other. He was so concerned how the Christians in Rome would receive his bold language. Therefore, in verses 6-19, through Paul felt it necessary to remind them of the commission that he received from Jesus Christ himself and how powerfully God had used him throughout his ministry. So that's how we transition here in verses 14 and following from the uh, larger points that he was making earlier in the text. So listen with me again, now that you have that background. Listen um, as I read uh, verses 16 through 19. Actually, I'll start with verse 15. 
But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to um, Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Here in this passage, we're reminded of two important points in regards to to the goal of the gospel. The first goal of the gospel we see here in this passage is to present the nations to God as an acceptable offering. And then the second goal of the gospel is to make us instruments in God's hands for the spread of the gospel to the nations. This morning I want to focus on the second of these goals. I want us to consider how we are to be instruments in God's hands for the spreading of the gospel to the nations. And I don't want to do this um, in terms of here's the strategy. But rather, I want to talk about how we individually become fit instruments to spread the gospel to the nations. In verse 16, Paul speaks of himself as having a priestly service. Now, if you stop and you think about that, it's kind of a curious thing for him to say. He says he has a priestly service, but he wasn't a priest in the in the strict sense, in, or in the strict Jewish sense. It was impossible for Paul to be a priest in the Jewish sense because he was not a Levite. The Apostle Paul was a Benjamite. Benjamite was not allowed to be a priest. Only those from the tribe of Levi were to be a priest. So then what is Paul saying when he's talking here in verse 16 about his priestly service? You've got to be a priest in order to offer to God priestly service, right? Well, under the new covenant, Jesus Christ is our great high priest. And because we, as believers, are united to Him, we are also priests of God offering to to Him priestly service in His kingdom. So not only was Paul a priest, But even we Gentiles are also accounted as priests in service to God. You know 1 Peter 2, verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Theologically, we call this the priesthood of all believers. We as priests are to offer to God sacrifices. What sacrifices are we to offer? Romans 12 verse 1 says that we are to offer our own bodies as living sacrifices. When we come to Christ, we belong to God. Our body belongs to God. 
Our mind belongs to God. Our heart belongs to God. Our ambitions belong to God. Everything we have, everything we are, belongs to God. Our whole self belongs to God. If you will remember back to our study in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, there were different kinds of sacrifices that a worshiper could offer in the Old Testament. The kind of offering that Paul was referring to in Romans 12, verse 1, was a whole burnt offering. A whole burnt offering represented the worshiper's wholehearted commitment to God. So to be acceptable to God, the whole burnt offering had to be one of the more valuable of the animals from your flock. If you had a weak or a sickly goat or a lamb or a cow, you could not offer that that sickly animal as a whole burnt offering. Um, God would not accept their leftovers. It had to be without defect. It had to be without blemish. And none of the animals was to be set aside to be eaten by the priest. The burnt offering had to be burnt up completely uh, there on the altar. And this represented the worshiper's wholehearted and complete consecration and commitment to God. So then the question is, if you, as a priest of God, are offering yourself as a living sacrifice to God, how genuine, how wholehearted is your life in service to God? And our offering is not just to stop with ourselves. We are also to be used to offer other people as an acceptable offering to God. We're to be used to offer the nations as an acceptable offering to God. In The word in verse 16 uh, that you see translated as Gentiles is the Greek word ethne, from which we get um, the ethnic. Uh, and it's translated nations or also Gentiles. And so I'm using the word Gentiles here uh, because it paves the way for what Paul is talking about in verses uh, 20 and 21. And so here in verse 16, he says that he was a minister of Jesus of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You know, this is the only time that I could find where Paul speaks of his missionary service as a priestly service. Why is he doing that? Well, I think there's two reasons. First of all, in Isaiah 66, verse 20, Paul had read a promise in the Old Testament that the nations indeed would be offered up as a sweet-smelling aroma and a sacrifice before God. So in Isaiah 66, 20, And they shall bring to all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord on horses and in chariots and in litters and on mules and on uh, dromedaries uh, to my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord, just as the Israelites bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. So there's this promise that Paul was hanging on. But then secondly... 
I read in Kent Hughes where he said that Paul's heart is first a heart that sees its mission as entirely sacred. And that struck me. What he means by that is that Paul saw himself and his work of preaching the Gospel as an important and solemn work as a priest who was ministering at the altar in the temple. As a priest with all solemnity and reverence approached the altar to offer the offering. And, and the priest saw himself as doing the most important thing that he, was called, he could ever be called to do. So the Apostle Paul approached his ministry of preaching the Gospel in the same exact way. He was as if he, it was as if he was a priest offering a sacrifice to God when he was out proclaiming Christ and winning Gentiles to the Lord. Instead of offering bulls and goats or lambs, Paul viewed himself as offering to God Gentile converts. And it's common knowledge today that how we perceive ourselves greatly determines how we live our lives. You know, the world wants us Christians to perceive ourselves as hayseeds, to perceive ourselves as boorish, as anti-science, as judgmental, and as hateful towards everyone who has a different opinion than ourselves. And to the extent that we believe what the world's saying about us, we begin to feel ashamed of our faith. And we begin to feel ashamed of our Savior. Paul specifically said that he was not ashamed of the Gospel. You remember that in Romans 1. I'm not ashamed of the Gospel of God, for it is the, the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Paul knew that he had a great and all-powerful Savior. He knew that he had a Savior that loved him so much that he came into our world and willingly went to that awful cross to be strong, to be hung there, to suffer the wrath of God in our place. And he knew that, that his Savior came not only for him, but he came to draw people from every um, tribe and language and nation to himself. So he was not ashamed because he knew his God and he knew uh, what his God had called him to do. But also, he had this self-identity because of his calling. He saw himself as a priest who was called to offer the nations to God as an acceptable offering. So all the while that Paul is being chased from one town to the other, all the while that he is being um, uh, rejected by unbelievers, while he's living in poverty and he's suffering indignity and pain and suffering and trials. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that were so severe that he thought he was going to die. All the while he was suffering these things, he saw himself in a priestly service to God, offering up the souls of men and women as a sweet-smelling fragrance to Christ. He was unstoppable because he knew his God and he drew his identity from what God had called him to do. What could you do 
Or what could it do for you, for you to have the same self-identity as Paul? You are priests of God, just like Paul. I recognize everyone doesn't have the same calling uh, to exclusively serve as a a missionary like Paul. But think of how your service for God would be transformed by simply seeing yourselves as priests. The world says you're a boor. No, I am a priest of God in His service. Or a favor that you do for your neighbor becomes an offering to God. Or an infant held and rocked in the church nursery becomes an offering to Christ. A lesson taught in Sunday school class becomes a sweet-smelling fragrance before God. When you have this self-identity as a priest, or as a priest of God, it is transformational. Our lives, we begin to realize, are not lived on merely a natural plane of existence. There's a sense in which everything we do takes on a supernatural character because everything is done for God and every and God is involved in everything we do. Now I'm not simply I'm not saying that a simple uh, change of mindset is all you need to do to live a transformed life. Paul recognized that everything he did uh, was only because God was at work through him. He wasn't on his own able to convert one single convert to Christ. He could make no one acceptable to God. Look at the end of verse 16. In the verse 16, he says they were sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In other words, he proclaimed Christ, but it was the Holy Spirit that made them acceptable to God by bringing them to the Lord Jesus Christ where they were washed in His blood and, and uh, covered with His righteousness. Now in verse 17, I will point out, he said that he was very proud of his work that was done for God. But verse 18 also shows he was fully aware that everything he did, he knew was only Christ accomplishing his work through Paul. Look again at verse 18. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. In other words, this change of self-identity should drive you to your knees in dependence upon Jesus Christ. You belong to Him. You are offering your priestly service to Him. You can do only what you are able to do through Him. And He is very interested in you succeeding and even flourishing in your priestly service that is done for Him. Therefore, what's our first job? To bow our knees and our hearts before Him and ask Him for help continually. Because it's His work. And we are very privileged to be able to join Him in it. Don't ever get too prideful when you do something for God. It's God doing something through you. It's God being willing to use an instrument like you or like me.
What happened as a result of Paul's priestly service to God? Well, uh, he traveled from Jerusalem to Illyricum. And you do the geography, that's about 1,400 miles. He did that without a car, I might add. He went from city to city proclaiming Christ until a foothold for the gospel was secured in that city. Then he went on to the, the, the next city. A small group of believers would gather uh, before he would leave. They'd begin meeting for worship. But then he'd move on. And he moved on because he had this uh, idea. It was more than an idea. It was something I think he dreamed about. Uh, something that I guess he uh, perceived that God had called him to. And that was to always be on the frontier of missions. Always to be pushing forward the boundary of the kingdom of God. Verses 20 and 21. He says, And thus I make, make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of Him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. And so he would leave this small group of believers behind, and they were to take up his work and to continue to proclaim uh, the gospel. Likewise, we are planted here in Brandon, Florida. We are to continue to proclaim Christ to our community, to our neighbors, to our co-workers, to our friends, even to our extended families. Our identification with Jesus Christ must continually push us to proclaim Him to those who have never heard Him and have never met Him. Jesus Christ came here to earth and He came to offer His own priestly ministry to the Lord, to, to God. And he, he offered His priestly ministry by offering Himself to the Father there on the cross. He did it to purchase men from God, from every nation, from every tribe, from every people, from every language. And as His people, we are then to gather those whom Christ has purchased. Therefore, we believe in the continuing ministry of evangelism. We believe in the continuing work of world missions. We believe in the power and necessity of prayer to depend upon God as we seek uh, for Him to do His work, accomplish His work through us. Let's pray together. Father, it has been my intention to in looking at the Apostle Paul to take for ourselves some of the same mindset and also some of the same trust that inflamed him to be the missionary that he was, God, I pray that You would help us always and forever until the Lord Jesus returns again to proclaim Him faithfully, to pour out ourselves in service to Him as priests of God 
who are here to proclaim the praises of Him who has purchased us for Himself. Father, pour out Your Spirit. Help us to proclaim Jesus faithfully and boldly. For His glory's sake, we ask in His name. Amen. Please